0: Uh, it's a joy to be with you. My name is Larry and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to Grace Life Church. Um, today we will be continuing our sermon series. We've been going through the sermon series called Women in the Bible where we're just talking about different women and how God used them and uh, how they interacted with God and uh, and what the implications are for how we view women today and how women can live today. Today we're talking about Mary and uh, there are um, actually six different Marys in the Bible. I mean, a few of them just get one line, but there's actually six of them, and historically, it is isn't odd, you know, I, I read this week, historians, they estimate that one out of every four or five women, Jewish, sorry, one out of every four or five Jewish women living in Judea during the New Testament era was named Mary. So it's a very common name, and so it's understandably a little bit confusing, but we're focusing on one particular Mary today, and that Mary is the mother of Jesus. Um, she appears many times in the Bible, but we'll focus on uh, this story of Luke chapter 1, when she first discovers that uh, she, is, um, she has Jesus in her womb. So, but, but before we dive in, let's pray and then ask God to uh, be with us and to guide us, and then, and then we'll jump in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time and this chance you've given us to gather We thank you for this beautiful institution that you call the church. Um, Even though there's brokenness sometimes and there's flaws sometimes and uh, sometimes your people don't represent you well, we still hold fast to the idea that this is your instrument of choice for um, making disciples and uh, uh, bringing peace on earth inviting your kingdom to be here on earth and so we thank you for this privilege for us to be a part of it. We pray for today that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive what you have in store for us and that we would be transformed more and more into the likeness of your son Jesus. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. There's a, uh, a movie called Children of Men. It was made in uh, I think around 2005, 2006. And it's loosely based on a novel by P.D. James of the same name from the 90s. And it's about this future dystopian society uh, in which for some reason people stop having kids. Um, for No one knows why biologically scientists are working on it, but it just seemed like one day women couldn't conceive anymore. And so it's in this movie, it's a little bit different from the book, but in this movie it's been 18 years since the last birth. So the youngest person on earth is 18 years old. And people are gradually giving up. Uh, this sort of this fatalism mentality that's settling in around the world. People are thinking, if we as the human race, if we're gonna be extinct in less than 100 years, then why do we even try to do anything at all? Why try to be a good person? Why try to build a better society? So that's sort of the uh, setting of the story. And the main character, his name is Theo, and he says this, it's a pretty sobering quote, I can't really remember when I last had any hope, and I certainly can't remember when anyone else did either. But really, since women stopped being able to have babies, what's left to hope for? And I think that sort of summarizes um, the feelings that people have in this world. The world is in chaos. Crime is through the roof. Governments around the world have been toppled. And war is everywhere. There's this huge refugee crisis in uh, and the twist of the film, I'm spoiling it, sorry, but the twist of the film is that randomly, Theo stumbles across a woman who is pregnant. And he can't believe it at first because no one, no one even knows why people stop being pregnant, but he meets this person, her name is Key, who's pregnant, she's the only pregnant person in the whole world. And then there's this powerful scene towards the end of the movie where, uh, you can look it up on YouTube if I, I checked, I forget, it's like movie clips or whatever, but you can check, you can look up Children of Men um, Miracle Ceasefire, okay, and you can look it it on YouTube later, but Key actually gives birth to this baby girl in the middle of a war zone. They're in this old apartment building that's, and there's, there's, uh, people are shooting all around, and Key actually gives birth, and there's sound, there's a sound of gunfire in the distance, and then you hear this sound of a baby crying, and then everyone they're shocked because they they haven't heard a sound of a a baby crying in 18 years. And everyone, they pause, and they, for a moment, everyone stops fighting, and they're just looking with curiosity on this wonder that is this, a baby, um, it's a baby girl. And so there's soldiers, they're storming up the stairwells, they're yelling, and then they hear the baby crying, and then they stop in their tracks, and they can't believe what they're seeing. And gradually, as word gets around, the whole battle is brought to a standstill, and You just hear nothing but this crying baby. And for a brief moment, it's like people have hope again. There is peace again. Um, But then there's an explosion and people keep fighting. But in that moment, um, there's peace. And I think this story, it shares so much uh, with, it, it reminds me so much of the story that we're going to read today, the story of Mary and her son Jesus. Because before Jesus was born, it was as if the world was without hope. All we really knew was chaos and war and violence and suffering. Things seemed to get worse and worse. But for whatever, and I'll say for whatever reason, it seemed as if God was silent. You know, if you track the story of the Bible, God appeared in many different ways, in many different forms, uh, throughout many people in history. Uh, But then one day, uh, Israel and Judah, they were conquered. The people of Israel were conquered uh, by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. But God was still speaking. Still, he raised up prophet after prophet to tell them, hey, if you repent of your sins, one day God will return. He'll send this person called the Messiah, and then the Messiah will come and deliver you. And there were all these passages uh, uh, or prophecies like Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, which reads, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end he will reign on david's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the lord almighty will accomplish this and so people were holding on to these promises that one day peace would be restored but one day and one day the babylonians they were conquered by the persians and the persian king they allowed people some people to return to the homeland and so people were thinking oh maybe this is this is the restoration maybe this is when the promises of, of, of the messiah would be fulfilled but unfortunately nothing much came of it and later persia was conquered by greece and greece was conquered by rome and it seemed like there was about 400 years or so when god was silent it seemed like god stopped talking and people must have wondered what happened are, we, are things going according to plan? What happened to these prophecies about the Messiah? When will God show up? And then one day, an angel appears to this person named Mary and tells her that she will have a miracle child and that this child would be the Messiah. This Messiah would restore peace to the people of Israel and one day hope would be restored. You know, there are many things that I think we can learn from the example of Mary in which we'll read soon, Uh, but I think there's three things that I want to highlight about her character, and I'll name them one by one eventually. But my hope as we read about the story of Mary is that uh, we will be able to ask ourselves if we ever come into a circumstance, a situation in which God calls us to some responsibility, to some mission, to some task, how will we respond Will we be able to imitate the character traits that Mary has? So that's what we'll do. Uh, we'll dive, let's dive into the text. Let's read uh, Luke chapter 1. W- what we're going to do is we're going to read the whole passage bit by bit, and I'll just add some commentary along the way, all right? Luke chapter 1, 26 to 27. Let's start there. This is the NIV. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this is uh, Mary's cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So I want to just lay out some context a little bit because this idea of being pledged to be married back then is a little bit different than how it works today. So back then, the Jewish marriage process it often had two phases. Okay, so the first phase we we will call a betrothal. Um, or a pledge and uh, it's usually arranged by the parents um, and oftentimes it happened when people were pretty young so women were it was not uncommon for them to be 12 or 13 when this would happen but it was an agreed exchange of consent uh, made by a man and a woman or by their parents basically say one day we would marry we would have these two people marry one another all right betrothals were binding you couldn't just, it's not like dating. If you were in this arrangement, then uh, in order to, the only ways to get out of it was death or divorce, all right? Now, here's the part that's just a little bit strange. So, that's the first phase. And then, this, and then during this phase, there was a period of several months, and it could last up to a year, in which the man and the woman, they did not live together. They still lived in their respective homes, uh, and, and there was no sexual intimacy but it was just agreed upon. One day they would get married, and then after several months or about a year, then the second phase would happen, which was the actual marriage. They would then, the woman would move into the husband's home and they would live together, all right? So during this time in which the story is set, this is the betrothal period. Okay, so Mary was pledged to be married to this man named Joseph. And uh, and so they have this exchange of consent. One day they're gonna live together. There should be no sexual intimacy uh, but they're not married yet. Okay. Um, let's keep going. So that's the context. Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. All right. So anytime an angel shows up to talk to someone in, in the, in the Bible, uh, I mean, all sorts of things can happen. Okay. So it's, it's pretty common for people to be scared out of their wits. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a, super common occurrence and oftentimes you're given a mission you're given responsibility you're, or you're given a condemnation or something like that and so uh the angel assures her okay i'm not i'm not rebuking you in fact you know this is a positive thing the lord is with you and recalls i think um the story of gideon in gideon uh, judges chapter six an angel also appears to gideon and gives him a responsibility of saving the people of God. And also says, the Lord is with you. A very similar phrase, alright? So in that scene, uh, uh, Gideon is, is also, also surprised that God would choose him. But I think that's God's pattern. Is that oftentimes, God chooses the people who do not think that they would be chosen by God. God chooses those who are least likely to suspect that they would be chosen. And then there's an interesting phrase here, you who are highly favored. We'll get back to this idea of favor in a little bit in the next verse because it comes up again, 29 and 30. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be? But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So there's that word again, favor. All right, let's talk about this word favor. What does it mean to find favor with God? Um, Well, this expression appears uh, several times in the Bible uh, one example that you can think of is Noah in Genesis 6, verse 8. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, well, this word favor in the Greek is charis, and it's often translated as grace. And it's this idea that you might not have done anything to deserve it. You might have not have done anything to earn it, but God is blessing you. In an unwarranted way. God wants to give you blessings in an unwarranted way. Now, here's a question. How does somebody obtain favor from God? What does someone need to do to be in the situation such that God would give a person favor? Well, biblically, actually, it's, it seems a little bit random sometimes. There is no formula. It's not like if you pray this many times a day, if you have this sort of consistency in going to church, then you obtain favor from God. There are trends, of course, and, um, but sometimes God appears to people who actually don't expect him to appear to, uh, to them. And so God often, that's sort of, this is sort of the mysterious nature of God, is sometimes God gives favor to people uh, who you might not think should deserve favor. But that's the whole point of favor. That's the whole point of grace, is that sometimes it's undeserved, Right? But there's one thing that we do know, I mean, there's a few things we do know, but one, when I think about favor, one verse that comes to mind is Proverbs 3.34, which talks about God, and it says, He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and depressed. Um, so I think one thing we can sort of conclude is, probably, if you're proud, you won't receive favor from God. But if you're humble, and if you're in positions of oppression, you are being oppressed— then you are, it's more likely that God will give you favor. And again, I want to be clear, God isn't formulaic. He's not, he's not a genie or he's not a vending machine. You do certain things and you get certain things. But it does seem like in general, God has a special place in his heart for those who are humble and oppressed. So if you want favor in your God, uh, the favor of God in your life, I think humility is a great place to start. And so that's the first quality that I want to highlight about Mary. Okay, you remember I said there's three... Characteristics about Mary, I want to highlight. The first one is this she has a quiet humility. You know, throughout the story uh, that we're reading and throughout um, the birth narrative of Jesus, you can read about it in Luke and in Matthew. One thing that I've noticed about Mary is this she just has this quiet humility all throughout. Um, you know, think about this she was chosen for this extraordinary responsibility of bearing the Son of God, the Messiah, in her womb and being the mother of the Messiah. And uh, some people, I mean, that would be an opportunity to elevate your social status, to elevate uh, your reputation in the eyes of the world. But what's fascinating about Mary is we don't ever see a record of her telling people that she has this responsibility. Every time people know that Mary has a responsibility, it's because God himself told them, okay? like Elizabeth, who is Mary's cousin, it was God who revealed to Elizabeth, hey, your cousin Mary, you know, she's actually uh, the mother of the Messiah. The shepherds in the field, it's not like Mary went out to the field and told these shepherds, it was angels who told these fields. It's not like Mary found these wise men to come visit, it was God who put the star in the sky. to So in all these scenes, uh, Mary, it wasn't her going around bragging about this, you know, this uh, gift she got and this tremendous honor she has. She was just quietly humble. She received this gift, and she didn't tell anybody. She just treasured it up in her hearts, and it was God doing all the boasting and all the, all the talking, right? So that's the first thing I want to highlight. She has this quiet humility, and that's, that's what I love. Let's keep going, okay? Luke chapter 1, verse 31. This is the angel talking. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You know, this uh, echoes a little bit of the Isaiah 9 passage we read earlier about uh, David's throne extending and the kingdom without end, right? And I think it's likely Mary would have realized at this point, oh, this is, this is hearkening back to these prophecies of old, that this is not just a random son. You know, there have been times when uh, angels appeared to people in the Bible, like Abraham and Sarah, or to Hannah, and, and said, you're going to have a son. But this baby was not just like any of those miraculous births. This was actually the Messiah. So understandably, she would have had questions, and we see that in the following verse. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? So i love this part this is the second quality that i want to highlight about mary which is bold curiosity bold curiosity you know i love that mary asks the angel a question i don't know about you if an angel were to appear to me and told me something i would probably clam up i would be a little bit afraid and i would uh not know what to say and i wouldn't want to come across as i was as you know, someone who's questioning God or something like that. I'll just you know, say, okay, I'll do that, all right. But what I love about Mary is she has a question and she asks the question. You know, when God does something in our lives, I think this is an important principle. He doesn't just ask for completely blind obedience. He asks for obedience, but he gives space for us to, for us to ask questions. He's okay with us asking questions. He's okay with us wanting to learn more, wanting to learn how can things happen this way, Oh, what is the plan, what are the steps along the way, what are the logistics. He's okay with some of those questions. It doesn't mean he'll answer all of those questions. Sometimes he asks us to step out in faith, despite us not knowing all the answers, but he is okay with us asking questions. And I love that in this scene, Mary asks a question and is not rebuked for asking the question. You know, I was just talking to a friend yesterday um, online, and he was just sharing that in his church, challenging authority was very frowned upon. And uh, he said he just felt like there really wasn't a place to ask questions in his church. And the, it was a sort of a very authoritarian leadership structure at his church. And people, you know, the people at the top, they said, this is what we got to do, this is what we got to do. And, and if you ask questions, people would give you the eye and people, you know, would. Um, question your faith and they would question whether you were a legitimate Christian and it was very, it was not a safe place to ask questions and um, I think it's just so unfortunate that there are people like that who have churches like that and, um, and unfortunately in many places uh, the Christian church that isn't perceived, doesn't have the reputation of being a place where you can ask questions but I do believe that God invites us to boldly be curious, to ask questions. You know, we see this throughout the Bible that many people love God. They've asked God questions. Abraham asked questions of God. Moses asked questions of God. Job asked questions of God. Multiple writers in the Psalms asked questions of God. And here, Mary asks questions of God. I think that should be a natural part of our our faith to wrestle with God. All right, let's keep going. Uh, Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So Mary closes this conversation with this line, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. So even though this probably caught her off guard, even though, as the text says, she was initially filled with fear and she was troubled, even though she has questions, most likely she has more questions, I would imagine, you know, being told that you're going to give birth to the Messiah. Okay, you probably have a lot of questions. Even though she has a lot of questions, she still decides to respond with obedience. And so that's the third quality I want to highlight, is obedient surrender. Mary had obedient surrender. Now, here's the thing with finding favor with God, all right? Sometimes when we think about finding favor with God, finding blessings with God, we're thinking about um, prosperity. We're thinking about God making us happier or God making us more comfortable. We think of security. But oftentimes in the Bible, when God gives you favor, when you find favor with God, what that often comes hand in hand with is God wants you to do something. God wants you to do something. He's not just giving you something, you know, material wealth, but He's also calling you to something, to a specific mission. God gives us favor, and in return, He asks for our obedience and our surrender. You know, Noah found favor with God, and God called him to build a boat. Gideon found favor with God, an angel appeared to Gideon, and God called him to be a military general, to lead Israel to war. And Mary, same here, she found favor with God and God calls her to a specific task, to bear the Son of God. Having favor with God often requires for us to have obedient surrender. And for Mary, think about this, this is no small task, okay? I mean, so I've never been pregnant, okay, I'm, I'm male. But I would I would just imagine uh, giving birth to anybody, bearing I mean conceiving and just carrying someone in your womb, regardless of who that person is, that is a huge responsibility in itself. Okay. You have to, you know, nourish this person and and everything you do is sort of you know centered around this person. And so that's already tough enough. But to carry the Son of God in your womb, that is that is huge. That's an enormous responsibility, and especially as a betrothed woman in the first century. Because think about this, okay? Let's imagine you're you're living in the first century and you're betrothed to someone. You agree, you're going to marry this person and the rules are you you should not have sexual intimacy. What would people think, what is a natural conclusion people would think if they find out that you're pregnant during this time? They would probably think you're unfaithful, okay? I mean, and, and probably Joseph but that too, we don't see this in Luke, but we see this in Matthew 1:19. This is what it says: Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I mean, I mean, imagine this: Okay, you are pregnant with someone, uh, and, and you're you're supposed to not have any sexual intimacy, um, and your husband goes to you. And ask, oh, well, not your husband, the person you're betrothed to, goes to you and says, "How did you become pregnant?" And you say, "Oh, an angel appeared to me, and this—it's the—I was conceived by the Holy Spirit." That—I mean, I understand, you know, sometimes there's a huge problem in our society of not believing women. Okay, that's a huge problem. But if I was in Joseph's shoes, I would have some skepticism too. Okay, that's not a very common scenario. I would be very skeptical as well. And I think Mary probably knew that going in. Plus, okay, this is another thing. In the Mosaic Law, you can read it up on, I think, in in Deuteronomy 22, in the Mosaic Law, if you're betrothed to another man and if you sleep with someone else, by law, you're to be stoned to death. All right? So Mary understood there were potential consequences of people finding out that she was pregnant and people coming to the wrong conclusions because she was pregnant. And so people would find this hard to believe. And my point is, I think Mary understood. Thankfully, she was never stoned to death. I don't know how they got around this, but maybe she just wore big clothes for nine months. I'm not sure what happened. But my point is, Mary understood there were significant consequences to saying yes. It meant, potentially, that Joseph would assume she was being unfaithful. It meant, potentially, that she would have public disgrace. It meant, potentially, that she would have the social reputation and she would never be able to recover from it. But she knew all of that, and she said yes anyways. Despite all of that, she said, "'May your word to me be fulfilled.'" You know, uh, Mary, she wasn't um, anybody super special at this time in the eyes of the world. She wasn't wealthy. She wasn't, you know, later we find out when they give their offerings in the temple they orphans show that they weren't wealthy people. She wasn't powerful, she wasn't talented. It almost seems random that God chose her. Uh, it's sort of like he in this movie, Children of Men. It's sort of random that why this person among all these other people? Um, she was just a normal human being who found out she was pregnant. But that's the thing with God. God often chooses people almost randomly. But when God showed up, Mary was ready. She was definitely afraid, very natural human response, but she demonstrated quiet humility, she demonstrated bold curiosity, she demonstrated obedient surrender. And because she did, Jesus was born. And because she did, Jesus one day would break the curse of sin and save the world. Um, You know, many Christians over the years, they've compared the story of Mary with the story of Eve, and it's very fascinating, there's all sorts of parallels. You know, Eve, Uh, uh, she did not trust God, she did not obey God, and as a result, a curse fell upon the world. And on on the other hand, Mary did trust God, she did obey God, and as a result, favor fell upon her world in the form of Jesus. Um, I love this artwork. This is by uh, a nun living in Iowa. Her name is Grace Remington, and this is like a crayon and pencil drawing, and it's titled Mary and Eve, and... uh, you know, we all in many ways, we see ourselves as Eve. God told us what to do. We disobeyed. We didn't trust in God. And now we're ashamed. But here, what I love about this picture is, you know, Eve is being comforted by Mary, comforting us with the hope that all is not lost. One day a child will come and will save the world. And I love the symbolism as well of the serpent that's wrapped around Eve because in Genesis 3, it was prophesied that one day, the seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent. And that's exactly what's going on. One day, a seed will arrive, Jesus, who will crush the seed of the serpent. You know, uh, and whenever I see this painting, I'm also reminded of this children's song. Uh, There's a song uh, written by Rain for Roots. I don't know if you've ever heard Rain for Roots. It's like this a folk band that writes songs uh, for uh, kids, and uh, a Christian folk band. And they had this song called Mary Consoles Eve. And I'm just going to read the lyrics to the song. Sorry, my clicker stopped working. But um, the lyrics go, Eve, my sister, the one who took the fall, Eve, my sister, mother of us all, Lift up your head. Don't hide your blushing face. The promised one is finally on his way. Um, I think so many of us, we live like Eve. We did something wrong, and it scars us. It marks us, and it taints all we are. And uh, we're filled with shame as a result. We want to hide as a result. But the story of Mary and her obedience gives us hope. That there's someone who has already come and he's redeemed us. You know, Mary's obedience in many ways is also it also foreshadows Jesus' obedience as well. When Jesus grew up, he had a similar choice. You know, would he walk the path of Eve and choose not to trust in God, not to obey God the Father, or would he walk in the path of his mother Mary? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he had to choose a very similar choice. You know, when Mary said yes, she knew that potentially it meant that Joseph would see her as a sinner. And Jesus had to make a similar choice. When he said yes to the cross, it also meant that the mobs would view him as a sinner, as a criminal, as someone worth crucifying. And when Mary said yes, she knew that potentially Joseph would leave her, that maybe Joseph would want to divorce her quietly, And the same was true for Jesus. When he said yes, he knew potentially that some of his closest loved ones and family members would leave him quietly as well. But Mary did say yes in the hopes that God would save the world through her. And he did. And Jesus also said yes because it was through his death and resurrection that God would save the world. In all these qualities that we talked about with Mary, Jesus had the same exact things. Jesus also had quiet humility. The Bible says that he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And like the, the passage that Kurt read earlier, he humbled himself to death, even on even to death on the cross. Jesus also demonstrated bold curiosity. At you know, at the Garden of Gethsemane, he had the courage to still ask of God, is there any other way? Is there a way out? And he had ultimately obedient surrender when he realized this was the only way, he said, not my will, but your will be done. And I wanna encourage us to live like Mary, but even more so to live like Jesus. I encourage you to find God's favor, to live in such a way, to live these humble, radical lives that God would come to you and choose you to do his will, to fulfill his work, here on earth, and that you would respond favorably, respond with humility, with curiosity, with obedience, and as you do that, you would join in on this grand unfolding plan full of these people we've talked about throughout this series, full of these women in the Bible, including Mary, and also including Jesus, so It would be part of this big historical plan to one day save the whole world. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for this chance you've given us to gather. Um, we thank you for the story of uh, Mary and just this teenage woman who had somehow the wherewithal to say yes to you. And uh, I pray that we would have that same, that same wherewithal, that same conviction, same passion, the same obedience. God, we don't know what you're calling us to, uh, but God, we pray that we would prepare ourselves even now for that day when that time will come when you will stir us up to do your will in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's to share the gospel with a loved one. Maybe it's to call up a, a suffering friend and be a source of counsel. Maybe it's to uh, take a stand for something, for justice, or for some... some uh, some cause in our workplace or uh, in the world, uh, whatever it is that you're calling us to, God. I pray that you would prepare our hearts for that moment. And uh, despite all of our fears, despite all of our questions, we would be able to surrender. We thank you for Jesus and uh, his model, his humility, his curiosity, and his obedience. Um. So that even though we may fail, even though we still do wrong things sometimes, we can still trust in the fact that our sins have been forgiven. We've been washed clean because of Jesus. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.